0: I'm Sarah, I'm Erin, and this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast.
1: When you said this one was pretty, uh, I didn't know which, like what it was going to be. And unfortunately, I still have no idea what it is, but it is very pretty.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got, I got tired of you guessing it like within the first five seconds. In the last, Yeah. Few I thought i would go a little bit harder this time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Oh. There are so many different directions I could go with that one. I'm not even sure what series, movie, <laughs> anywhere to go with that. Wow.
0: Um, Do you have any hunches, you know, just off the bat, what it might sound like? Um, wow. Really, uh, like, is,
1: the only thing that pops into mind is, is something that's like a, a, a reveal of something beautiful. And it's just not, I like, I don't think it's correct. But, you know, my idea was something on the Genesis planet in like Star Trek three, maybe. But I don't think it sounds right for that.
0: You have two things correct about that. Um, it is the reveal of something And it is from a movie. Okay. Um, I'm imagining it's probably from one
1: of the TNG movies because I've seen them a lot less recently. So I I don't expect myself to recognize the music from them. Okay. Am I getting any closer?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you're correct.
1: All right. What would be revealed? Well, th- this is a thought that's coming to mind because of something you and I both watched researching this episode, um, and maybe in generations in the Nexus when Picard finds Kirk. But I'm not positive.
0: No. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it was a hunch. I, I knew that was what you were going to go to first. Yeah. Well, it it
1: kind of it could fit the scene obviously it doesn't because that's not what it's from but <laughs> right. um and like i said we both watched the same uh youtube video that referenced that scene so um
0: no this this has i i i'm not being predictable at all this time i did not choose anything that has anything to do with the episode that we're talking about today
1: so. yeah yeah, the, it it was easy when you're like, oh yeah, this is from enterprise. Yeah. We're talking about enterprise. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm so trying not to really draw this out, but I am just coming up completely blank. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you could just get the movie, just get the, just oh. name the movies. <laughs>
1: Oh dear! I
0: don't expect you to know what it what specifically it is on the movie, but' cause mm. I don't think I would know that either, but the general yeah. movie each movie has its own sound of music, um, yeah, for and sure I don't mean the the play but- <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i I could go down the list, but uh my next inclination is to go to to first contact, but uh no. I don't know why, yeah.
0: Um You think First Contact has music like that?
1: <laughs> well, you never know. There it's there pretty, are moments uh, where, you know, where Picard is is showing I forget the character's name, but showing her the, you know, Earth from space and, and stuff like that. There are there are yeah neat moments. Um yeah. I mean I already mentioned generations and you didn't say it was that. Um Mm-mm. and I'm trying to picture the the one of those that I've seen part of most recently was was Nemesis, but I I don't it doesn't seem like it fits in there. <laughs> no, it's
0: oh, the last uh, one yeah. that you're gonna get. Yeah, obviously. exactly. <laughs> I'm like,
1: <laughs> yeah, and i I'm sad to admit I can't even remember. You can't the remember the name?
0: Yeah, I can you know well, well, no, I
1: is? I remember the name. It's it's Insurrection, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It okay. From
0: Insurrection.
1: Uh, but yeah, I can't even bring up the plot, which is pretty sad
0: <laughs> for a Star Trek fan. Well, we've reversed our roles here. Usually I'm the one that can't remember the plot of the movie. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> I, You know, but I do remember the plot of the, the the TNG movies because those are my favorite ones. It's just the other right. ones that I haven't seen very much, so...
1: Mm. And I guess I, I watched the uh, the original series ones quite a few times as a kid, and then watched them again recently, um, you know, within the last couple of years. So uh, they're a lot more fresh in my mind than any of the rest of them.
0: Well, the gist of Insurrection, if you remember, is um, you have the Baku, which are these. Um, it's the Baku and the. Um... See, I can't remember the the name of the aliens, but basically (laughs) there's a, there's a duck line set up on this planet because the Starfleet thinks that the Baku are this primitive pre-warp race Mm -hmm. and they're not actually. Um, They have this thing called metaphasic metaphasic radiation because they live in something called the Briar Patch that Mm -hmm. allows them to live for hundreds of years. And um, so it's like a fountain of youth basically that they live on and this is a culture that actually uh, was modern and had a warp at some point in technology and all of that, but they have shunned it basically in favor of this life, kind of like the Amish in a way. And uh, Starfleet didn't know that until the duck blind was ruined basically. And the Baku discovered them watching them. And mm-hmm. um, so Picard, you know, beamed down and found out that they were actually, an advanced civilization that just chose to live a more simpler life. And Mm -hmm. um, then you had the, um, this is really bothering me, the aliens. Gosh, (laughs) what is it called? What are they called?
1: Um, Unfortunately, I
0: can't help um, you. (laughs) Oh, the Sona. Ah, okay. Um, So basically uh, there's another race called the Sona that are actually Uh, the same race as the baku but the sona did not adapt to this other way of life they lost they also look really different so they i guess the baku uh remained on the planet and had this metaphasic radiation affect them the baku did or the sona did not and so they're really the same race but they look extremely different and they have different cultures and so forth. Hmm. And the Sona are trying to basically, I don't think they're trying to take over the planet, but they're trying to like take this metaphasic, rad- harness this metaphasic radiation with using their technology so that they can basically achieve the same immortality, sort of, so to speak, as the Baku. Okay. And so the Starfleet is sent to prevent them from doing that basically because they don't have the authority to do that so right um so that's basically the plot and Picard ends up like beaming down to the planet and leading the Baku like evacuating their villages and all of this stuff because the Sona are attacking and you know Riker stays up on the Enterprise and they deal with the Sona ships up there um that's basically all that happens (laughs) in the movie (laughs) it's not like it's not like this huge epic plot but it has a lot of you know moral dilemmas of how much do we interfere you know and prime directive type stuff so yeah
1: it's very star trek
0: yeah it people say that um it's just basically like one long tng episode
1: because
0: mm. it has a, an episode vibe to it which it really does it's like a two hour tng episode basically so yeah Which you know, people don't like it because I was going to say
1: you you would think people would like it because it's you know TNG but bigger.
0: Yeah, I guess they they thought it was boring, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, to each its own. I liked it because Riker and Troy got back together. Yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) that's a real reason why I like it. So. (laughs) I don't really have that much of an issue with the plot, um, honestly. I was just watching it like in the theater the first time I saw it. I was just like waiting for the Riker Troy scenes. That's all I really cared about, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So. Uh,
1: well, thank you for refreshing my memory on that. And uh, I definitely, well, I mean, if I couldn't even tell you the plot of the <laughs> the movie, although it was yeah. sounding familiar again as you were you were telling me it, but yeah, I definitely could not pin down where that music comes from
0: (laughs) the music from um you know the best music from the tng movies is first contact it's Mm. actually been used in a lot of other um stuff that i've seen on like tv before they'll use that soundtrack okay um that's not star trek yeah it's just like random stuff that uses the main theme from star trek for some reason so (laughs) it's really beautiful music it's Mm. like you know how you just listen to some pieces of music that just brings, like, you start crying? Yeah. That's the theme for First Contact. Mm. And if you go onto, like, YouTube, where they have it, you know, you can watch the video of it or whatever. Pretty much, like, all the comments below it are like, I, like, I want to cry when I listen to this for some reason. And it does. Yeah. They, there's just something about it. I, I don't know. For me, it's like pairing it with the memories of First Contact and going to see it and what it meant at the time yeah and all of that stuff but it's just sentimental but mm. insurrection i thought has the best music behind first contact as far as the tng movies go i really it has some really beautiful music in it so yeah well
1: as someone who's always been a movie music fan i i feel like i really need to go back and just listen to those soundtracks
0: we're going to ruin this music challenge <laughs> if you do
1: that well maybe i'll just go back and listen to that one you know, the, the first contact theme and, you know,
0: <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll make note not to use that one for a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> know you should go back and listen to that one. It's, um, I'm not going to tell you don't do it because it's, it's, yeah, it, I don't, it's one of my favorite pieces of music ever. Nice. So, yeah.
1: Well, and I mean, I, I need to be able to guess some more other than just uh, the, yeah. the, JJ uh, Abrams films. So, <laughs> That's true. The, those soundtracks, I have, you know, I, I have them and I listen to them, you know, somewhat regularly. So those ones, you know, if you ever want to throw me a bone, you can just, you know, give me one of those pieces of
0: music. <laughs> well, welcome, guys, to episode 12 um, today, where we uh, talk about the music of Insurrection, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um no, actually we're um, discussing a, uh, I don't know if it's a dry topic or what, but it's, we're going to be talking about kind of the economics of Star Trek and how it works, um, or at least as far as we can tell how it works. It's, yeah. You know, it's one of those weird, ambiguous things that Star Trek kind of addresses, but doesn't really. So mm-hmm. we'll just talk about what we know. The rest of it is just, I think you just have to kind of make it up in your, your mind. So
1: yeah. And it, it sounds like that's what a lot of the people who, you know, would be the closest thing to authorities on the topic, you know, they've just taken what we've been presented in the the shows and the movies and extrapolated out using, you know, a current economics and, you know, understanding of what real human policies have been and what they could be and all that sort of thing. And showing how the, the world that star Trek inhabits, you know, either could exist or couldn't exist based on what we know for fact and, uh, you know, showing how those sorts of things could fit together. So it was, it was more interesting to research than I thought it was going to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, I guess it just depends on your personality. I find topics like this kind of interesting Mm. um, because I like history and politics and and all of that stuff. But just a little disclaimer, we're not going to get into political discussions on this because um, Aaron and I just decided we don't want our podcast to be skewed one way or the other because we know we have listeners that are they believe a lot of a variety of things and that's one of the great things about Star Trek is the diversity of thought and ideas. And so we don't want to pigeonhole our views on this, you know, topic and appeal to maybe one type of listener and piss everybody else off. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we're gonna all we're gonna do with this is pretty much just say, hey, here's how Star Trek presents economics. And then we will leave the philosophical analysis to you guys if you want to battle that out online or just whatever. But we're going to try to stick to the facts of how Star Trek presents things and then kind of leave it there. So,
1: yeah, I am definitely not qualified to speak to any historical background on actual economics and all that sort of thing. I'm not a very political person. Uh, I don't pay attention to a lot of those sorts of things beyond, you know, the, the things that are making headlines and, and immediate impacts and things like that. So um, I am definitely not qualified to talk <laughs> about anything beyond um, what we've researched as far as, you know, here's what Star Trek says.
0: Yeah, I don't really feel super qualified either, although I, I probably, I mean, I studied, I took like the macro and microeconomics in college hmm. and just having an interest in politics, you hear a lot of different viewpoints on how economics works and stuff. And so I, I have kind of a general knowledge of that stuff, but um, I haven't, I have not read Karl Marx. I haven't read Adam Smith. You know, I haven't studied it to that in depth, you know? Um, so I, I don't feel again, like you, Aaron, super qualified to get in a very deep discussion about this. So th- I guess that's another reason why we're not going to go there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'd rather say nothing about it than say something completely wrong about, you know, something that relates to real life.
0: If you guys are like super 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 interested in this topic people have actually written books apparently about this you can go on amazon and find them i think one's called trekonomics and then do you remember the title of the other one yes it
1: was called the economics of star trek they're actually both very self-explanatory titles it it sounds like they're very well researched and very well thought out so um if you are someone who enjoys well they're written by economists yeah so that it sounds like something that if someone is very interested in those topics, they'd probably be a really good read.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we'll point you there. <laughs> if <laughs> yeah. If you want to hear something beyond just the superficial conversation about this. Um, I suppose a lot of Star Trek fans already kind of know what we're going to be talking about, but if you're relatively new to the franchise, um, you might not know some of this stuff. So, I mean, I kind of learned a little bit with the research, um, I mean, I had seen pretty much all of the, like, examples that they gave yeah. of this stuff. So it's kind of like I already kind of had a good idea with how things worked. But um, I learned a few new things. Yeah.
1: So. so the first fact that I learned that I thought was very interesting is the the first straight up mention we have of Starfleet and the Federation not using money is actually in Star Trek 4, which I thought was was very interesting because of how much Star Trek had come before that.
0: Uh, yeah, I thought that that was like an original series thing. Well, uh, really not. and it seems like there was
1: some discussion of You know, not being, you know, like Earth money and that sort of thing, like not saying that Earth doesn't have money, but, you know, it was just never brought up. Um, And then, Mm -hmm. you know, there were a couple of mentions of like a a Federation credit as some sort of currency. But the very first time we get someone saying, well, we don't use money is actually in Star Trek four when Kirk is... um, you know, Kirk and crew are walking down the street and they see someone buying a newspaper from one of the, the automated vending machines. And he says, Oh, uh, they're still using money. We might need to get some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then later in, in the movie, when, uh, he and the scientist are, are in the, the restaurant and she says, Oh, let me guess. You don't have money to pay for this. I guess I'm paying for this basically. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was very interesting that it took until then for the concept of, no, the Federation doesn't use money to become solidified.
0: Well, that was around the time that they were developing TNG as well. And I feel like maybe Gene Roddenberry and and people involved in Star Trek at that point were starting to get a little bit more serious about the world building of Mm. Star Trek Maybe because they had to come up with a bunch of stuff for TNG um, as well, and they could they carried that idea of you know no money through TNG for the most part. There are episodes where there are episodes in I guess every series where money is used to an extent, but yeah, and that's it's it's one of those those weird things. Yeah.
1: And that is something that, you know, in our research, they went on to say, well, you know, obviously we see Starfleet officers using money. But when when they say, oh, we don't use money, they mean within the Federation. So anytime they're interacting with another culture that does use money, they instead of trying to make that other culture, you know, Drop the whole currency idea. They just have stockpiles of these kind of foreign currencies, basically, um, and use them. So we see that a lot, of course, in Deep Space Nine, where you know here's this station on the edge of Federation space, essentially, um and they're interacting with a lot of different cultures, um, and they are, of course. You know, regularly using uh, gold press platinum, and all sorts of things for trading.
0: Well, apparently they had to buy drinks at Quark's bar, right?
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. No, Quark wasn't going to give it to them for free.
0: <laughs> you know, I never that never registered with me. Yeah. Watching Deep Space Nine of them having to buy everything from there
1: well and i think it's because i I think a lot of times they had like a running bar tab and that sort of thing um Mm -hmm. and so eventually but there were definitely times where you know they would be playing Dabo or something and you know they're handing over slips of latinum and and all this
0: kind of stuff so
1: um there, there are definitely instances of starfleet officer handing money to someone else
0: So where do they get the money from?
1: Well, and that was one of the
0: things that was
1: kind of addressed in this video that you and I watched. Um, He mentioned, you know, maybe. Because I
0: don't don't remember him mentioning that. (laughs)
1: um, He just said that maybe um, Starfleet keeps stockpiles of these currencies and then, you know, maybe doles it out as like a. Almost like an allowance, I guess, to officers who are posted in these places where they're going to be interacting with um, a lot of these cultures. Yeah, but how do
0: you know how and when to give them what? Like, it's
1: I'm sure they just have to to learn, you know, what is a reasonable amount and all that sort of thing um and i am sure there's also some um instances of them actually trading goods for currency so you know whether a starfleet officer has an artifact from another culture or something that then say someone else wants then they would you know, trade that for currency. Uh, I'm, of course, like we're saying, there. There are so few concrete facts that a lot of it is extrapolation. Um, so that is my personal extrapolation.
0: That that's kind of what I came away with with this whole thing was that Star Trek has a certain model for economics. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah, to be honest, <laughs> because you have. I don't. I don't think there was like this central rule about money and economics and star trek that all the writers had to abide by they just kind of made it up as they went along yeah you know and i think there might have been like this idea of they don't like we said the federation doesn't have like a central money system or whatever but yeah. i think the writers writing the episodes just kind of did whatever made sense for the episode <laughs> so <laughs> that's why it's kind of a little all over the place yeah but
1: And for the most part, you know, unless you're someone who's sitting down and and following those threads through, um, it's kind of makes sense to just have it work out for the episode and then kind (laughs) of, if necessary, figure it out later.
0: Well, there was a lot of that with a lot of things. Exactly. They just let a lot of stuff go without explaining things you know and it's not just about money but about a lot of things and um i think you're right back back in the day before you could binge watch all of this stuff yeah like that probably people it was impossible to watch it in a way to where you could kind of see the more overarching picture Mm -hmm. of things because you were just getting little drips of it each week over several years (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like it's not like you could binge an entire season in a week you know, and when you can do that, then you can kind of see all of these threads in it.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes it a little bit different. And I, I wonder if maybe that sort of change in viewing preferences is what spurred the transition of Discovery to a um, a serialized setup rather than an episodic like the original uh, series were.
0: Well, I think that's just TV today.
1: Yeah, so we're talking about you know this idea of a of a society where we don't use currency being set in Star Trek Four, um, and then you mentioned that that kind of possibly came about because they were um, solidifying things for the next generation starting up, um, and then we we do see that coming out in The Next Generation, um, specifically in an episode called The Neutral Zone. That's where we get probably the majority of the ideas about um, how the Federation economy works, um, Mm -hmm. because this is an episode where some humans from Star Trek's history were found in stasis and revived, and they're trying to come to grips with this new society of having money not mattering. So, you know, we have this this gentleman who keeps trying to throw his weight around and saying, oh, I'm, I'm rich, I could pay you off, or I could call my lawyer and have him, you know, <laughs> attack you through the law and all this sort of thing. And uh, Picard is basically trying to tell this guy, well, actually, none of that matters uh, now. Mm-hmm. And basically, you're going to have to adapt to this new system. And yeah, it's going to be difficult, but there are also advantages to it. You know, we we talk a lot about Star Trek being a very utopian future idea. And part of that is um, because of Something that kept coming up in my research, anyway, is the idea of scarcity and how the Star Trek universe basically just gets rid of the concept of scarcity. So you don't have people who don't have access to their needs. So everybody on Earth has their needs met. And That allows humans to then divert their energies into something other than survival and, you know, making money to get by.
0: Yeah, and another thing that goes along with the no more scarcity thing is in Star Trek, humans and I guess other species that have joined together with humans in the Federation have completely changed their mindset on... Like
1: on materialism or...
0: Yeah, well, they've changed their mindset on materialism, but also in just benevolence Mm. towards each other i guess not that humans aren't today or anything but um what they're saying is in the 24th century or the 23rd century people are just going to give each other things because it's the human thing (laughs) to do i guess um it's it's the you know they're not they're not greedy anymore they're not selfish anymore so humans have learned to cooperate instead of compete you know all of this stuff and that is the only way to make this actually work it's it's the scarcity thing is one thing but you then also have to have that mindset and approach Mm. to things as well in order to make that work so um so star trek presents humans being that way in the future
1: yeah and That kind of goes along with something that I had never really thought of, is that some people see the Star Trek universe as a representation of communism working. But then it it was kind of presented as, well, maybe it's not quite communism because there's still the idea of private property. You know, people still own objects. Um, and, you know, yes, there is this idea of they're, they're sometimes more willing to share them, and there's nothing necessarily exchanged to gain that property. So, you know, people have their homes or they have their, you know, their apartments or their businesses or whatever, and those belong to them. But, you know, the example was given of um, Captain Sisko's father owning a restaurant you know, it's his restaurant, but no one pays him for the food that he makes. So um, right. it's it's really he's sharing it because this is a passion that he has. It's a skill he's developed and he wants to share it. And that's the goal of it rather than I'm going to use something I know how to do to make money so I can get by. Right. So it, it's a definite change of mindset, um, and in the sense that you know the the government or whatever systems are in place, yeah, they are responsible for looking after the citizens of Earth and of the Federation. You know, they talked about healthcare being free, education being free, all those sorts of things, um, and then the human focus turns to improving themselves, enjoying themselves and helping others rather than just trying to survive.
0: The Star Trek future seems to me to be a combination of a lot of different economic systems Mm. instead of just one. I I agree with you. I don't think just labeling it as communist is correct. It it has more nuance, you know, philosophies in there um how, there are aspects of communism yeah in in star trek there are aspects of socialism there are aspects of capitalism mm-hmm. it's a combination of all those things um so i don't think you can you know simplify it um that way so it's 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 an interesting mix whether it would work in the real world who knows yeah <laughs> but, and uh in the star trek universe it um it seems to do fairly well now. I mean, not everybody, of course, they also made mention that not everybody in the Federation is living the high life. Yeah. You know, there are worlds in the Federation where people are impoverished and there are issues, societal issues on those worlds. So maybe on earth, Mm. you know, all of the problems have been fixed, but, you can't apply that to the federation as a whole that's apparently. that's true so
1: yeah and that was something that i never really Thought about until we started looking into this topic. I mean, it's funny to say that because so many episodes deal with oh, well, we got to go help this colony because they're, you know, they're facing this medical issue or they're not able to grow enough food and so they're starving. Or <laughs> so it, it's weird that I didn't put two and two together there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely when you look at okay, the Federation has this thing sorted. It, it's really Earth has this thing sorted. And then mm-hmm. from there, they're trying to help out the corners of the Federation that, that maybe can't stand on their own two feet yet. Um, right. But I thought it was also interesting that, you know, it's talking about not having to deal with scarcity and then bringing in that, uh, issue of, you know, some of these colonies and things like that, they do deal with scarcity. Um, there's obviously a, a limit to how much they've overcome scarcity because there are still some items that are precious. Um, you know, they, uh, the research we did talked about how, uh, you know, dilithium, they still have to mine it because they can't create it. Um, you know, latinum is still a currency because you can't replicate it.
0: That just seems bizarre to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, Shouldn't
0: a replicator be able to basically make anything? I mean, short of like uh, organic life forms or whatever, but I mean, if it's inorganic. Yeah. And it's just a matter of putting the chemical formula <laughs> into the replicator and then.
1: Yeah. I, whether there's like a, a, a limit to how refined those things can be. Um, and there's also definitely an element there of you cannot create energy with a replicator. So like if you, if you replicate a phaser, you're going to get a phaser with a dead battery. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a little bit of that. So whether that then translates to, okay, well, dilithium is a source of energy because of its chemical composition and everything so maybe that somehow carries through but i'm not positive
0: i don't know anything about dilithium crystals i thought i thought that they were just like a i never really thought about it honestly yeah. as the me like a source of energy to me they just look like crystals that you just put in the warp core. I don't know what I was thinking that they did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There, there's something there with, you know, the dilithium crystal somehow, I think it regulates the antimatter reaction or something like that. So you have to have those two elements, you know, the dilithium and the antimatter, um, to create the, you know, the energy in the warp core and everything like that. Um, at least as far as I understand it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am also not an engineer or a chemist, so (laughs) I I do not, uh, have much, uh, basis for saying those things other than I saw it in Star Trek.
0: I I mean, they show what dilithium crystals look like. They, they, they're literally just like white crystals. Yes. Like little white crystals. Um, so I, I guess I just had it in my head that like, I don't know why I never really thought through it, but Mm. it's just like, I was like, okay, so they're just, putting a bunch of like white rocks basically in the warp. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. I don't really know how or why this works, but whatever.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, and there was definitely a little bit more um, brought out about it in uh, Voyager because, you know, as something that you know, they were able to throw as a problem in in Voyager's path was, you know, they start to run out of dilithium. And they then have to either find some to mine or trade for it. So you know, there's mm-hmm. there are things like that where it's brought out. You know, they can't just create it with the replicator. They have.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I knew that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just. Yeah, it just yeah. didn't know okay. why that was
1: the case.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just I'd never. First of all, we don't really know how replicators work. No. Either so. <laughs> Which we've already had discussions about, so.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, brings us back to this is fiction. And so it's it's yeah. bound by the limits of the human imagination. And so it's easy to throw something out there and say, oh, yeah, well, this is how it happens. But then mm. when you go back and analyze it to try and make it somehow work... That's when you're going to run into some of the the issues, and it's the same thing with the economy. You know, yeah. we've already mentioned how. Okay, well, that kind of sounds like it could work, but not fully. So, how does it work?
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, because this is, I mean, obviously this is a fictional show, and Gene Roddenberry, he uh, he molded the star trek universe to kind of fit his views on things and this this utopian future and um what you're saying is is absolutely true it's just kind of like the technology it's like interstellar space travel the replicators transporters it all sounds fantastic Mm -hmm. you know but when you really start digging down into it and how it's actually going to work then you start hitting some walls you know (laughs) it's kind of like I don't know. Like there, there are questions of whether or not it actually could work. You know, um and so the the economic stuff is the same way. It's just kind of like, yeah, it sounds great. You know, I don't know anybody, no matter what your feelings are on the subject, that would say, no, the Star Trek universe sounds like this horrible place. That yeah, I wouldn't want to live in. Like it, no, it sounds fantastic. You know, but. When you start really dissecting things and you start questioning things, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, just how practical this actually is, you know, so it's, uh, and I'm not saying anything one way or the other. I'm just saying that you you run into that with science fiction, well, with with TV in general, (laughs) you know, it's just like...
1: Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, because there's always going to be something where you need to say, okay, this is how it needs to work for this story to work. And then, mm. you know, okay, maybe further down the road, you're going to run into, oh, yeah, that thing that I said, um, it doesn't make any sense anymore, but I guess I'm kind of stuck with it. So here's mm. an explanation. <laughs> Um, so yeah yeah, you run into that I mean you run into that in books Um, anytime you have a a book that posits some sort of uh, theory or a future or something like that or you know brings up some historical thing that you know there is no way for us to know that other than oh yeah this fictional character found a fictional diary from this historical figure um So, there's always going to be things that don't make sense. But it, to me, it was interesting how much of it people have been able to go back and kind of, sort of make it make sense.
0: Well, yeah, but again, that's the same way in with everything. You know, people can scientifically try to explain how a transporter works. You yes. Know? But then we were, like, having discussions, what actually happens to you when you disintegrate into a (laughs) bunch of atoms, you know? It's just kind of like, do you keep your consciousness? Do you lose it? How do you not die, you know, and all of this stuff. It's just, you know, it's one of those things you can kind of explain, but not 100%, you know? So, um, but, you know, this whole economic idea that Star Trek puts forth is one of the top reasons why people keep coming back to it Mm. and why it's so successful. Regardless of whether or not the economics can actually work in reality, our current world is far from the utopian future that Star Trek presents. And like I said, it sounds fantastic. Everybody would love to live in that sort of world. And I think that's what attracts them to Star Trek is they can get lost in that utopian future and feel like they're there for a little while while they're watching. Um, And it gives people this hope and this optimism that one day humans will achieve those things and be like that. I'm a very pragmatic person. So I don't know, like I don't know in a thousand years or a few hundred years, what life on earth is going to be like. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that, it's impossible for human beings to ever achieve stuff like that. But I'm also very pragmatic and understand that it may not be (laughs) possible, you know? And so I guess I try not to to judge it. It is what it is on Star Trek. And um, I I just go with it because um, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice little world to escape to.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, and one of the things there is, you know, you said, you have no idea what humans are going to be like in the future. And and that's kind of the whole point of it is humans Mm -hmm. change. You know, we are creatures that, oh yeah, we're very much creatures of habit, but we also have the capacity to change. And that's what Star Trek puts forth is here's what might happen if we changed or here's what might happen if we continue down this path or that path or whatever. And it is interesting that um, Star Trek then is able to take the humans that they said, okay, the humans have figured out a bunch of these things, but then still throw them into situations that relate to today.
0: All right. Well, to kind of steer away from the philosophical issue <laughs> part of it, um, I get, I think, um, it's just really interesting for some reason, uh, you know, of course the TNG episodes that, that, that address money pop into my head first, um, with everything. But, um, I remember there were a couple of episodes where Riker had to deal with money, um, one being the uh, unification where Spock showed up, um, that like two-parter. Uh, he had to beam down to the planet and talk to somebody down there. And he had to like bribe somebody to get information.
1: Hmm. And
0: she wanted money and so forth. And he didn't have any money. He specifically said, I don't carry money. And um, so he basically played the piano for her. Um in exchange for the information. So he found a way to kind of barter yeah. with that. Um there's also another episode where he actually I mentioned this previously, where he talked to Quark. You know, he had mentioned that he had played Dabo at Quark's bar and mm-hmm. had, you know, won several bars of of Latinum and so forth. And again, he was trying to bribe Quark for information, and so he ended up basically he called him uh, Credits, like what you brought up, yeah. Um, there is something called credits that Starfleet officers apparently use. Uh, What they are, we don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they're like digital currency, like Bitcoin, Mm. kind of. But um, Cork basically accessed his account and stole all of his credits back. (laughs) <laughs> which is a little messed up like how does he have access to do that first of all because you he's know, quark just,
1: and that he just does those things
0: <laughs> he hacks people's accounts apparently yep.
1: <laughs> okay. you know well I mean quark is kind of this interesting character uh, who sort of bounces back and forth between trying to be the ultimate Ferengi you know in which the, basically anything is fair game as long as you don't get caught Um, but then we also have other instances where you see a little bit of a softer side to him, or he has much more of a a deeper side to him. So, you know, he does Mm -hmm. bounce back and forth between the two, the two sides of the, 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 uh, issue.
0: Well, you know, record did say that those credits were only good at his bar. Oh, interesting. So that, so that kind of gave me the, the vibe that, Riker's account where those credits were held were localized to Deep Space Nine. Like He didn't Mm. have access to them outside of Deep Space Nine. Well, that could be. Yeah.
1: And that would make it easier for Quark to access it.
0: (laughs) Right. Which is why I thought that. But the latinum bars sounded more like that was a universal thing that he had personally. Mm. So it's interesting to see the instances where they actually have to use money compared to when they don't. It's like I said, all over the place. So.
1: Yeah. And it's also interesting. um, One of the videos that I watched on this topic went back to the history of currency and how it came about. Um, You know, there's, there's kind of a couple of different um, origins of it, but the, The one that struck me was actually an ancient Chinese form of bartering in which people used um, replicas or representations of an item, almost like a promissory note, so that they were able to say, okay, if um, somebody wanted... you know, a a bolt of wool cloth, and they were willing to trade, you know, say that they're a a metalsmith, and they're they're willing to trade a you know, a shovel for this wool. They didn't necessarily have to have the shovel already. You know, they were able to bargain with the person who was producing the fabric. And say, I will make you an item that you want in exchange for the item that you're able to make. Um, And they had, you know, like little replicas of items that they were able to make. So he would have handed someone a, you know, a tiny shovel, (laughs) you know, a little carved wooden shovel or something to say, okay, I'm going to make you a shovel if you will give me that wool cloth that you have right now. Uh, and that then, you know, became a, a an extension of the barter system. So to then extrapolate that out into, you know currency as we see it today, where the currency has is non-specific to an item, but in a sense is is standing in that same position where, okay, If I walk into a store, well, I can't spin, I can't weave, but I can go buy cloth with money. But then, you know, maybe I can make something with that and sell that, you know, to to gain the money back. So um, it was neat to almost get a history lesson while trying to look at the history of the future as well.
0: Well, we do have an in, in, um, encounter at Farpoint. Dr. Crusher buys some cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's got some form of currency to do that. Um, I also think it's interesting that Star Trek doesn't address this directly, but you get kind of an idea about this, is the um, Troy family seems mm-hmm. to be very well off, very wealthy. Yeah, um, We saw when, um, during the episode Haven, when Deanna has to marry Wyatt, um, the first thing that gets beamed up is the treasure chest of jewels Mm. and so forth that I would assume belongs to, I think it was the short, maybe it was a gift from, anyway, you had to be really rich to own that. Yeah, And so I think there's these implications that, um. Troy coming from the fifth house of Beta Z and so forth, that they're pretty wealthy. Mm. And so I get the sense that on Beta Z, um, maybe they're not as. That they. They're s- a little bit more materialistic in a way yeah. than humans are. So.
1: Yeah. And it certainly goes back to the origin, or at least what was explained as the reason humans went to a society without currency, which was, um, you know, the eugenics war and world war three, basically wiping out a big chunk of earth's population, wiping out the, um, you know, the monetary systems and the information systems and all those sorts of things. And people kind of had to go back to a, you know what was then considered a more primitive way of exchanging things of direct bartering or exchanging services for goods um so when you you look at it that way well maybe Be- beta z didn't have that sort of an issue come through and change dramatically their their systems so you know it could have been that they developed so that they have they still have those kind of currency systems or at least a a property value uh, system um, in place which of course they they obviously don't use it when interacting with with Starfleet and that sort of thing um, but it's still valid within their own culture
0: there probably are a lot of Federation planets that are like that because y- you make an interesting point humans had a very unique situation with world war 3 and so forth that created this post scarcity culture and economy and maybe not every world i know not every world in the federation went through that yeah <laughs> you know obviously everybody's going to have a different approach to things so it's, it would be interesting to know like which worlds in the federation still have kind of like a a more market economy Um, like what we're used to um, and which ones are more like the utopian type of economy Mm. that star Trek presents, because you've got to have a lot of different variation there. I would imagine.
1: Oh, you'd have to, you can't say that they're all the same when you have so many worlds. Um, You know, I keep coming back to thinking about the, the Klingons and how the different houses obviously have different, social standing and that sort of thing. And I wonder if some of that maybe relates to their property. Um, I, I know a lot of it has to do with, with honor and how they, their house has acted in Klingon history and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, whether there's some sort of, uh, material component to that, I don't know.
0: Starfleet is, well, Star Trek is very human-centric and Starfleet-centric. And, of course, we talked about Starfleet stems from Earth, basically. So Starfleet's going to probably adopt or adapt um, Earth's view of a lot of things. So I think that's why that permeates Star Trek so much. But we don't really get that sort of exposure to all of these alien worlds in just exactly i mean obviously everybody's under a centralized government of the federation mm. um so there there is some standards probably that everybody has to abide by but each planet is also allowed to have their own societal rules and culture as long as they don't probably contradict that of the federation so
1: yeah and in some ways you could look at the um Countries here on earth that have a a large immigrant population or things like that, where, you know, you're all under the government of that country that is, you know, the current government, but maybe you have your own traditions that you've brought from your family background. So you know, that's kind of maybe a, a much smaller version of what it would be like in the Federation, where you have all these member worlds that are under the overarching governing of the Federation, but uh, distinct in their backgrounds and their and their practices. And of course, when, when you talk about economics, you know, your mind goes almost immediately to the Ferengi, because they're right. basically the exact opposite of what the what the Federation or at least the Earth government is trying to be. You know, they're trying to be completely mm-hmm. non-materialistic, whereas the Ferengi, their entire society is based on materialism and the the acquisition right. of wealth. So, you know, it's basically throwing two caricatures. Up against each other of you know here's the caricature or a blown out version of a non-materialistic society squaring up against a caricature and a an exaggerated form of a materialistic society uh, and it's that's one of right. the things that you star trek does in so many ways is it shows Things that so much relate to today and, you know, things that would matter to you and me, but because they blow it way out to this extreme or they pick one element and make it ultimate, uh, they're able to make commentary on it without really calling out a specific people group or something like that. They're able to make it um fictionalized and to to be able to talk about something that's real you know in probably the the least offensive way possible
0: well i mean i think it's no secret that the ferengi are supposed to be kind of star trek's commentary on capitalism um I mean, it's pretty obvious that, you know, I, I was listening to another podcast called The Journey, which is one of the official Trek FM podcasts, and I was listening to an episode that they just happened to bring up. One of the guys on there said something that I hadn't really processed, but I kind of and kind of knew it, but hadn't really thought about it in those terms, was that Star Trek uses the alien species as a commentary on some aspect of humanity. Mm. You could have the Ferengi representing you know, the capitalist nature of, of humans and then the Romulans and the Klingons and the Cardassians all have their own. Um, I don't, he didn't really go into detail about, you know, what alien was what yeah. but he just said, basically, you know, that's, that's how Star Trek kind of addresses a lot of the issues in our societies. they, they do it a lot of times through alien cultures mm. and contrast that then with humans. And, um, so it's it's interesting, um, but you but like you said, they do it in an exaggerated fashion, so that you can kind of see the inference. But it's not they're not preaching at you, they're not lecturing at you as as in, you know, this is. I think for the most part, Star Trek doesn't do that. Yeah. Um. To where to where you you come away from an episode and feel like you've just been preached at about a certain thing so yeah
1: yeah you you can certainly come away with the the thought that wow they were they were talking about an issue and in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways they're definitely coming at it from an angle you know there it's Mm -hmm. very much when you look say at the the issue of the Ferengi it's very much we're supposed to think the Ferengi are extreme and you know that their ways are quote unquote bad and the Federation way is is the way that's good um, so mm. it does have an angle but it's not an yeah. angle saying oh yeah I'm talking about you when I'm so- talking about the Ferengi
0: well yeah but also at the same time Star Trek doesn't totally demonize the Ferengi no. either you know so they leave it open you know so they don't completely shut out you know, maybe a point of view or something. And I find, like I said, they usually, they do come at it with a bit of an agenda and an angle. And it's obvious what that is most of the time. Mm. But they also, in that episode, will balance it out with that other point of view. And they don't always say outright that one point of view is better than the other. Sometimes they show the strengths and weaknesses of each view, Yeah, you know? And so it's, yeah, Star Trek does have a bit of an agenda to it. You'd have to be blind not to see that. But I think it also does a really good job of providing more of a balanced point of view. Yeah. So that everybody gets something out of it.
1: Yeah. And I liked the way you put it, you know, you don't come away feeling that you've been preached at, you come away feeling like you've been informed on an issue rather than... You know? I mean it
0: makes you think yeah, it makes you think about things you know and you may agree with it and you may not but um, you know that's that's the the great thing about Star Trek is I, I can appreciate it. Maybe I don't always agree with a viewpoint that they're putting across, but I love that about the show that it does that. yeah <laughs> you know that it it's not just like a bang up sci-fi it's not Star Wars. <laughs> you know and i'm not putting star wars down but i'm saying that it i the reason i like star trek is because it it dares to explore the human condition and i like that about it mm. so
1: yeah it's not just a straight up adventure story it's also adding in the um you know the societal angles and and all those sorts of things which i'm sure other franchises that I haven't watched do that as well. But uh, because mm. I've watched Star Trek, that's the one that I can talk about.
0: Well, yeah, I'm sure like I don't know, Babylon Five and Stargate probably do that stuff too, but they're copying Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Star Trek was the first Star Trek was the first science fiction show that did that. Mm. And so uh, I think that's that's why it's so loved, even back in the I mean, pretty much that's the the main reason that you watch the original series is for that type of stuff because you're definitely not going back to watch it for its technical prowess, you know? Yeah. So um, that is what carries that show are, are the characters and the different issues that it explores in its episodes. That's what that show's about. And that's what Star Trek is really about. Like I said, I don't always agree with everything that Star Trek you know, puts out there and that's fine. You don't have to, it's a TV show. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's definitely good to hear other opinions. You know, I I don't want to be someone who says, well, if you don't believe what I believe, then I don't want to listen to you. Um, You might not change my mind, but you might bring up something that I don't know and it will inform my opinion. So I would much rather hear about it. And I think Star Trek is, one of those methods of hearing about something, you know, in a way that isn't off-putting because it has this comfortable cushion of fiction.
0: Well, you know, Gene Roddenberry famously said, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of times in episodes where, you know, Picard or or Cisco or Janeway, I guess, um, may be confronted with something that they don't like about a certain culture, maybe a belief yep. that they don't agree with. But nevertheless, they have to honor that belief yes. in that culture, because who are they to, to tell them that they're wrong? Yeah, Star Trek does not shut down discussions saying, you know, it is our way or the highway. It invites a diversity of opinions. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that we adapt that also in life is is you know just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that you have to shut them down yeah you know just you should be fair listen to opposing viewpoints you know at least give them a a fair listen you don't like i said like you may not change my mind about something but i'm not gonna shun you yeah (laughs) because you might believe a certain thing so it's i mean as long as it's not harming other people you know like if you believe in um You know, poisoning a bunch of people, of course. I'm not going to support that, but, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, as long within reason, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And hopefully we've done an okay job through this episode in presenting the topic uh, the way that Star Trek presents it, you know, with showing different sides and then asking you to form your opinion.
0: I feel like this is half about the economics of Star Trek and half about. I don't know. I feel like we diverged a little bit from the economics point of view, but... Yeah, a little bit. We had a, a pretty good discussion about just Star Trek in general, too. Yeah, so. I think so. I We don't really know what else there is to say about it. Um, Star Trek is a utopian future. They don't really use money as a um, centralized system. They, they use money sometimes when the situation calls for it. They have ways of getting that money, Um how they don't really explain. There's a lot of the stuff that we don't really actually know how it works. Um, we're just told this is how it how it is. Well, I think we surmise that this is the last um, episode in the Star Trek Universe series. Um, so next episode, we're going to be turning to the original series and we're going to be watching the pilot episode called The Cage. And we know that this is not the actual first episode of the original series this was the pilot that never aired apparently mm. um so it was gonna have pike in it and some of the original series characters but i think most of the characters are never made it to the actual show so uh, i have seen it i saw it like a month ago um i was just really bored pet sitting one night and i was like you know what i'm just gonna watch the cage um and so I did, and so I have seen it one time, but I'm basically going to be, you know, this this will be my reaction to that. So, Erin, um, you haven't seen it before. If I
1: have, it's been a really, really long time, but I... I'm pretty certain I have not seen it. So um, I know a little bit about it because of, you know, hearing about the changes that were made between that pilot and what eventually became the first episode of the original series. Um, so there's, you know, a little bit of knowledge there, but not much.
0: Yeah, it's new to both of us. I'll say it's, it's a very interesting <laughs> episode. so I think you'll uh, you'll find it. Interesting as well. Um, so anyway, we're going to do that. We're going to quiz each other um, as we usually do watching these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how different of questions we come up with. Yeah, it seems like
1: we really focus on very different things in these
0: episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, um, Aaron, why don't you uh, tell them what our question is for social media?
1: All right. Tell them where to go. Absolutely. So what we would like to know is um, if you've seen the uh, original series, uh, you know that in the cage, um, the captain of the Enterprise is not James Kirk. It is, in fact, Christopher Pike. Uh, So what we would like to know is who do you prefer? Christopher Pike, the original original captain, or James Tiberius Kirk. So we would like to hear from you, hear your answer to this question, and uh, the ways that you can get in contact with us is through our social media. Uh, You can go and find us on Facebook on the Tribbles and Transporters page. Uh, We do have a Twitter, which is at Tribbles Podcast, and then we have the Tribbles and Transporters uh, Podcast Instagram, Uh, and we also have a Gmail that you can
0: reach us, uh, TribblesandTransporters at gmail.com. And our website, Fribblespodcast.com. The links are in the description below to make it easy for you. A lot of people really like Pike, I I gather, so mm.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have an opinion, obviously, since I haven't watched the cage, at least that I know of. Um I definitely really like Pike in the, the new movies. <laughs>
0: Pike was in the new movie. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Yes.
1: That's so funny. When? Like from the very first Wait, f- was he in He was in the f- He's in the first he's one? He's in the first and the second one. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, he literally recruits Kirk. That was Pike. That was Pike.
0: I thought that was like some admiral or something.
1: Well, he becomes an admiral later.
0: No, but like when he went to recruit. No, he,
1: he, well, he was in a Starfleet instructor uniform at that point, And that's why it looked a little different. But then, yeah, he, then he goes on to the Enterprise and, you know, commands the whole first mission.
0: What Pike does or Kirk does? Pike does. Oh my gosh. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, it's not just the JJ movies. I don't remember most of the movies so yeah
1: well obviously I showed just how much I remember of the TNG movies so (laughs) can't Mm -hmm. really talk
0: so go ahead and like us guys on social media and interact with us we enjoy having conversations with you throughout the week and uh, like and subscribe well you can't really like this podcast you can't really do that podcast but you can subscribe you can leave us a rating or a review that would be helpful on uh, iTunes especially and um, I don't know I guess we'll uh, look forward to discussing the cage with you guys next time absolutely bye bye guys Bye.